Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Thursday edition of the show here on 101 ESPN, the Danny Mac show with BK Tanner is with us and we're going to hear from John Moselock, Mike Schiltz. Uh, we'll hear from, uh, hear from John Nagowski. He is going to check in. We'll see if he's down in Jupiter. And I, I'm curious what the intake process has been like for these players or what they've done to prepare to get ready for what is an unusual spring training. Um, but I'm excited about it, and they're on the field, and away we go. BK, good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. How about that news that we got late last night? Fernando Tatis, 14-year extension for $340 million. Third largest contract in the history of baseball, longest contract in Major League Baseball history, youngest player to get... $300 million plus. So if you add up three on the infield right now for the San Diego Padres, Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., that's collectively $784 million in salary to those three. Tatis just turned 22 a month ago. <clears throat> and I think what's interesting is he's 22 when he gets this deal. To give it some perspective, Trout signed his deal, the mega deal, over $400 million at the age of 27. Mookie Betts got his deal with the Dodgers last year at the age of 27. Tatis is 22. They give him this deal without ever going to arbitration. He's played a total of 143. Think about that. He's played a total of 143 major league games. He has not played a full major league season. Is Average salary is $24.3 million, or twice as much as Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna is a hell of a player. He got $100 bucks. They signed him up long-term, and a couple years later, this guy gets over $300 million. So there's now seven players that have contracts of $300 or $300 million plus. Stanton Cole with the Yankees. You got Betts, Harper, Trout, Machado, Tatis, so four in California. So the winners in this, Tatis and... Um, the state treasury in, in California. They're going to be baseball. really happy. Dan, baseball. And baseball. Baseball is a winner in this. And I got to be honest with you. I have been so unbelievably disappointed by the analysis surrounding this signing this morning. I've seen from a lot of different national outlets something to the degree of, ooh, this might backfire on the Padres. Yeah, it might. It very well may. It's 14 years in more than 340 or $300 million. That's crazy. And also, one of the smallest market teams in baseball just re-signed their star, one of the best players in the sport. Maybe if you were redrafting the entire league and you had the number one overall pick, it's very possible you would take Fernando Tatis Jr. with that number one pick. He might be the guy that you would want to build your team around in the sport right now. Jeff Passan was asked why would the Padres sign him so early? And to know that in a market like San Diego, which in the past has lost players, everyone aside from Tony Gwynn, that they could make him this generation's Tony Gwynn, they left it the opportunity to do that. It locks him up long-term. Machado locked up long-term. Hosmer, I don't think you can move that deal. 
So going forward, you got these three, unless you eat a lot of that contract. Hosmer's so, deal gets a lot easier after the next two years. Because it's $13 million right. and it's all player options. Correct. He probably could get more than that on the open market. Now. But the bottom line is, though, you're going to have to eat some of that deal. You would if you had to move him. You're not going to. Three years and $50 million for Hosmer? I, I don't think that's too bad. At the back end? Mm, no, thanks. Okay. Um, I look at this as being a couple of different things. Is it good for baseball? It's good in the fact that, especially for a younger generation of fans, he is the guy. Like, Tatis is the guy. He He's on the video game covers. He's starting to get national endorsements. You don't see that with Mike no. Trout. So he's doing the bad flips. He's bringing excitement to the sport. He is the face of it. Um, and then the other thing I look at it, if you're the Padres and you look <laughs> at the Dodgers not too far away. The only way you compete is by keeping these types of players. So it, is it a risk? Of course it's a risk. It's 14 years. He could have some down years in this contract. That could happen. He could get injured. That could happen. That's the real risk. Baseball is guaranteed. But uh, it's, in a, it's an eye-opening, eye-opening contract. And what's it do now for Lindor? What's it do for Trevor Story? What's it do for Javi Baez? All of them wake up this morning with a big smile on their face. I want to get back to some of this analysis because I was reading Ken Rosenthal, who I have immense respect for. I think he's one of the best baseball analysts in the country. I want to read you the end of his column earlier today, Dan, because this really frustrated me to, to read. It said, for all their efforts, the Padres still might finish second to the Dodgers and end up in the wild card game if the players and owners do not agree to expanded playoffs. And if the parties do agree on the, that expanded format, the division winners almost certainly would be given advantages, so the Dodgers would still remain a roadblock. This is not to dismiss the triumph of a small market team locking up its young superstar in an offseason when the Rays traded Snell, the Indians traded Lindor, the Pirates traded Tyon, uh, Jameson Tyon. Musgrove and Josh Bell. From that perspective, the Tatis extension is cause for celebration, a reason for them to sprint into the surf for their triple somerset somersaults. Alas, the water might be too shallow, and the Padres might not land on their feet. And they well, just signed one of the best players in the sport. Like this should be celebrated, for in my opinion. The Indians trading their young superstar is what you don't want to happen. Right. You don't want to see these smaller market teams becoming the minor league clubs for the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets and, frankly, the Cardinals. That's bad for the sport. It's bad for these fan bases. You have too many teams. There, It is stratified now in, in baseball where you've got the, the haves and the have-nots. For the Padres to now be able to join that group should give hope to other fan bases that their team can and will as well. Well, the question I think though becomes why not wait one more year and then buy out the arbitration years? He's played; he hasn't played a full season. Because if you know, you know, right? Like well, you it, better know. You just gave him three hundred forty million dollars. Sure, but it's only going to get more expensive. The longer that he does what he did the first two years, the more expensive this contract becomes. Dan, they got the last ten years of this deal at thirty million dollars per season. Yeah, that it, sounds it, like it a works. lot of money. It's not 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 the way things are going. It's not at all. If three years from now, when that actually kicks in, it will be considered. If all of what we've seen so far is true. It will be considered a massive value signing, actually, for the Padres at that point. So I I think it's a really smart decision by them. But even if you disagree with whether or not it was smart to do it this early, I think it is still considered to be a good thing for the sport that a, a small market team did it. So you're the Padres. You're the fan base. You woke up in 2015-16. Your opening day lineup was Alexi Amarista, 
<clears throat> Let's see. Will Myers. Uh, Jed Jerko was part of that team. I think Will Middlebrooks was trying to catch on. Yonder Alonzo was kind of on the back end of, of, you know, trying to rejuvenate his career. Now you wake up. Hosmer, Tatis, Machado. They've got options in their outfield. They they brought back a guy because they thought they might have a DH and he's going to sit on their bench for three years and $21 million. I mean, it's incredible. It, it also begs the question, in my mind, BK, is where's the money coming from? You know, when, when people are saying, well, there's, you know, there's the shutdown of the game. There's only 60 games last year, and you're not going to have fans in the stands this year. Wow. You just gave $784 million to three players. So the money must be there. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and also the Tatis <clears throat> Jr. thing works out really well for them right now. It's a million dollars is what they're going to be paying him in 2021. Right. They're, they're paying him nothing right now. Next year, it jumps to five, which is still nothing. $7 million in year three, $11 million in year four. The next four years of this deal for the Padres, they've set themselves up where he would have been in arbitration in the pre-arb years. It's still going to be relatively cost-effective for them. This doesn't get expensive until year five of the deal. So while you have Will Meyer still on the books, while you still have Eric Cosmer's contract on the books, it's relatively affordable in the here and now. It's the future years that get expensive. Jesse Rogers of 101 or of ESPN 1000 was on 101 this morning, and he was asked about that Tatis extension. From a baseball perspective, I mean, I don't know. What if the guy... Is it the player you thought he was? And I know he's great, and he probably will be. But anybody can have three or three bad years. Or you know, so you are really committing to a player that hasn't shown that much, and that usually doesn't happen in the game of baseball. It just doesn't. It's just such a humbling game. But but I guess he brings a, enough of these other things that I don't know if he has a mediocre year or two, and he's bound to. It's not that big of a deal. I, I think that's that's kind of the way people are looking. I just can't believe such a young player got got a deal like that. If you're the Padres, too, this is the face of your franchise going forward and in many ways the face of baseball, and you put yourself on the map. You're competing with the Dodgers. You're competing with the Angels who are handing out big contracts. They've done that with their third baseman, did it with Albert. They did it with Mike Trout. Uh, you're, you're competing in the big waters. And There's no doubt. You're telling the Dodgers, this division is not yours. For sure. Like, we're, you're going to have somebody that is competing with you. It is not your birthright that you can win the National League West every year. They very well still may. The Dodgers very well still could. They're the favorite to win that division this year. They're probably going to be that moving forward. But the Padres are trying, Dan. And far too often in baseball, especially right now, you haven't had enough teams that are just out there trying to win. And so I am going to I am going to clap. I am going to applaud. Yeah. When I have a team out there that is in especially a smaller market media wise that is trying to win and their fans should be thrilled this morning because their club sent a very strong message that this is not just for the here and now for the foreseeable future. This is a team that's going to be competing. You're the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're watching Jamison Tyone. You're watching Garrett Cole. You're watching Andrew McCutcheon. You're watching Josh Bell. I mean, think of some of the players that they have given up and just said, well, we just can't keep them and made no attempt of trying to keep them. That's what you're talking about. Yes. This is a franchise that's saying, hey, we're going to we're going to go for it. Now it's incumbent on the fans to support them. I mean, no Chargers, uh, no professional sports outside of really the Padres. So there's a lot of things to do. Don't get me wrong in San Diego. It's a pretty nice place. Been there a bunch of times. But, hey, if you're a baseball fan, go support them now. They've, they've, they're doing they've their job. Your, they've earned your support. Oh. But with what they have done, they are showing a strong commitment to winning. 
And they deserve the support of that community now. So to your point, the future part of this, if things go to plan, you're right. $30 million for a shortstop that is uh, one of the best in baseball. Yeah, you're going to have to pay for that. It could get ugly on the back end of Machado, could get ugly on the back end of Hosmer. But, hey, you're making the attempt, and that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think, to to what you were saying a little bit ago on what this means for the next shortstop class, Dan, the Cardinals were really smart to jump on uh, Nolan Arenado oh while they could. Yeah, of course. Because if they were playing in these shortstop waters, you just upped the bar once again. Yeah. I know that this contract does not kick in yet. But that's why your Baez, your Trevor Story, your Lindor, you wake up this morning, oh, like I said, with a huge smile on your they're face. They're all smoking cigars down in Florida right, right now. Like they, they have to be thrilled about this because the money just went to my starting point is $30 million. Yeah. My starting point is I'm on the free agent market. He could only negotiate with one team. He's negotiating off of pre-arbitration and arbitration years. I am a true free agent. You're going to give me at least $30 million per year annually, and I don't think the Cardinals wanted to go into those waters. That's why they got this Nolan Arenado deal down to $25 million. So they, they made a really smart move by jumping the market there. You're the Rockies. You have no chance now of re-signing Trevor Story. If you weren't going to pay Arenado, you're not going to pay him. Why would you? Absolutely. So he's gone. They Baez, should trade him while we're in spring training. Get Baez the most you can. Could be gone. Lindor, I believe, will get the money from the Mets. They've got deep pockets. That'll happen. But, you know, you're, you're the Rockies this morning. You're watching on MLB Network. There's Nolan Arenado and Cardinal Red taking BP. And, oh, by the way, how the hell do we sign Trevor Story? Not a chance. What they should have done is when Trevor Story was really good, really young, tried to go to him then with one of these contract extensions. It, it, it does get expensive. You're absolutely right, Dan. And this might not work out. It might not. But what you got to do if you're one of these types of clubs, the Cardinals have been really great at this. They sign those guys early. They get in on the front end. And it's not the mega deals that we just saw with Tatis, but the Colton Wong extension that worked out for the Cardinals. Paul DeYoung, he is on a very manageable salary because they got him That's not $340 million. I understand, but it's it's the same premise. The idea is the same. What you're hoping for is that you get them on a lesser deal than what they would be worth if you waited. By waiting to right now, Trevor Story is going to cost the Rockies more than he would have after two, three years. By waiting, if they waited, Fernando Tatis Jr. would have been more expensive if they waited another two, three years I'm because okay the cost of business keeps going up. That's fine. Play him, pay him the arbitration years. Fine. But, that's then, not, but, that, that, but then that goes up. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but... Now you're going to have to pay him $37, $40 okay. million dollars per year. And it's, the Padres aren't going to be able to do it. What's the gamble that you run? That you lose Fernando Tatis Jr. and now he's playing for the Yankees. Good. And if I'm if I'm the Padres, I want that guy playing for me, not for the not for the Yankees. I want him going into the Hall of Fame in a Padre hat. That, that doesn't happen very often for that fan base. And so keeping him there is very meaningful. Trevor Rosenthal, by the way, has agreed to a one-year deal. Uh, according to MLB, this came out this morning, just now for one year, $11 million. So he'll be pitching for the Yankees by the end of the season. What? There's <laughs> some truth to that. <laughs> so you sign him there. Speaking of a farm team, the, the A's have become very much that for baseball. We'll take a quick time out. John Mozalock and uh, Mike Schilt here from those two down in spring training when we come back. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. A one, two, three, four. 
Manny Mac show on a Thursday. John Mozalock and Mike Schild meeting with the media earlier this morning via Zoom down in Jupiter. And Mike was asked about Matt Carpenter and could he be seeing some time in the outfield? Yeah, I think you're making up stuff about the corner outfield spot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he'll get some DH opportunity. He'll get some at-bats there. He'll play some third base. He'll play some first base. And he'll clearly also play and get some opportunity to play some second base as well. But I don't, I don't anticipate him, you know, journeying to the outfield. He would, and he could, but I don't. It's not any internal dialogue that that would be a possibility. Twenty-five games in the outfield in his career, hundred innings, eleven starts in right field, and Mike Schild says, "Ah, no thanks." I guess he shut that thing down pretty quickly. Things can change, though. I said this on the morning show. Things change in a hurry over six months of a baseball season. And one of the examples I gave was Jose Martinez when he moved to first base. He was not a first baseman. He was out of position, but they needed his bat in the lineup. The only way that that happens, BK, is that every option has been exhausted. When I hear Mike Schilt say it like that, when I mean every option, I'm talking the young outfielders are not performing, period. And you've been through the ups and downs and everything else with them, and it's just not clicking. These guys aren't hitting. They're not producing. And you're saying, okay, here's a guy that's on our bench, and maybe he's had a little success this year because we've been able to put him in spots for success. He had a great road trip. He was our DH. He was right. He, he he came through on those six games. He's let's ride that hot hand. Let's put him in left field. But that's the only way I think that that happens. Yeah, I I think that what I heard there is Justin Williams. It's your time, big guy. It's your time. Oh, um, I'm, I'm hearing Tyler O'Neill. I'm hearing Lane Thomas. I'm hearing Justin Williams. I'm hearing Austin Dean. Sure, I'm I'm talking about from the left hand uh, left handed outfielder perspective yeah, yeah. because that's what. Matt Carpenter would represent. He would represent an option in the outfield that's batting from the left side. And they don't have a whole lot of those guys. It's a very right-hand heavy lineup going into this upcoming season. So when you're going into the year and Justin Williams is the only guy out there that bats from the left side, the pressure's on. And he needs to perform this year. They really need him to step up. And if Matt Carpenter's not going to get those opportunities, at least not for the time being, that signifies to me Justin Williams is the guy for that specific role right now. Well, things got to fall into place, though, too. Uh, You know, if if you don't have production from those young outfielders and Matt Carpenter at 17 million sitting on your bench and he's coming off a great road trip through a DH cities, you know, you go into the American League. Why not throw him out there? If, If you're not getting production. Now, again, last resort type thing. It doesn't sound like they're going to do that or give many innings in the outfield, but his at-bats primarily at currently constructed are going to be to give Tommy Edmond a day off, DH. Edmond moves to short, so it's DeYoung day, day off or Goldie or Arenado. Nothing in the outfield. But again, I, I just never say never. You know, I mean, things happen. It gets weird over the course of a season. Guys get injured, and certainly if guys don't produce and you got that sitting on your bench and he's showing signs of life, then why not? Then what, maybe you do it. What do you think the timeline looks like on something like this? Because I'm with months. you. I, I okay. So that's that's kind of what I was wondering is how long do they go with those guys? Because it's not, hey, they had a bad opening series and now you're going to give Matt Carpenter a chance in the outfield. But no, it, it's an extended look. I I feel like if you get into June, it's it's officially summertime. And you're not getting the production from O'Neill. He's striking out too much. The batting average is sitting around 215 or whatever. And you're not getting the the power that you expected to. You try Lane Thomas after that. You gave both of them four or five weeks in the outfield. Neither of them produced. Justin Williams gets his shot. He's not hitting against right-handed pitching. Just not enough contact. 
that's when I think you you potentially look and explore your other options. The question that I would then have, though, as the, as the secondary follow-up to that, Dan, do you think Tommy Edmond would get the first shot out there or yeah, Matt Carpenter? Yeah. Because I think <clears throat> Edmond, you, you slide him out to the corner, and you would eventually give Matt Carpenter that shot at second base then. It's a good point. It's a good question, and I hadn't really given it much thought. I think Tommy Edmond is going to be exceptional defensively at, at second base. I don't think he's going to be Colton Wong-esque. Wong's in a different league. I mean, he's great range, fantastic, fantastic plays, all that, you know, back-to-back gold gloves. But is he going to be above average defensively? Absolutely. And I think it'll show sabermetrically that he is. Here, here's the thing. Do you want to take from a source of strength and move him to the outfield, Tommy Edmond, and then put Carpenter with limited range at second base? Or are you just better off saying, we're not going to touch Tommy Edmond, keep the good defense there, and we'll deal with left field with Matt Carpenter? I would rather have Matt Carpenter in left field. I would too. I, I would say I, I don't want to make two positions worse defensively. And yeah, I think that's what that's you what do I'm by saying. moving Tommy Edmond to the outfield. So I, I would rather have Carpenter in the outfield. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I wonder if Cardinals fans would prefer Matt Carpenter in the outfield. I, I just eventually you get to the point where you're, you're kind of at the end of the rope and you don't have a whole lot of other options. No. What Matt Carpenter in the outfield would represent to me is and again we're talking about June here. It's not an early season type of a thing. You're probably then having discussions with other teams about hey, are are there outfielders, corner guys that you could send us? They're always available. Power bats in the corners and then at first base. Those guys are always out there, and I bet you the Cardinals would be able to find one. John Morosi was a part of your show yesterday with Alex, and he talked about the need for Flaherty to get back to where he was a couple of seasons ago. I think Flaherty certainly. We have seen the capability for him to be a top-five starter in the game. And, and I think for the Cardinals to be a championship-caliber team, I think he has to be that. They can win the division without him being that, but I don't see them making progress in, a, in an absolutely stacked National League playoff picture unless Flaherty pitches right now on the caliber of a Cy Young contender, uh, at least this year, but hopefully for years to come. Yeah, you got to have him as a number one to where you match up with Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Trevor Bauer, whomever you want to throw, you Darvish of the Padres, Blake Snell. Yeah, we're talking about getting into postseason play. Do I think he can, will he pitch like he did in the second half of two years ago? It was historic. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. It was Bob Gibson-esque, which we've talked about. That's how good it was. I don't think he's going to be that good. Is he going to be darn good, though? Yeah. I think with a full spring training coming out, and it's time for him to to be that guy. This is the year to make that. I, yeah, I agree. Dan, I, I'm been, I've been watching a lot of MLB Network's top 100 list over the last couple of few weeks now. And last night they revealed their their rankings from 20 to 10. And Nolan Arenado came in at number 13. 13 yep. So I watched two BK Arenado at 13. Paul Goldschmidt came in at number 32. Those are the Cardinals in the top 50 this year so far. And I would imagine that's going to be the end of the list for them. I went back through previous years to see kind of where the Cardinals stacked up uh, when they were at their peak 2011, 2013, those teams. So 2011, Albert Pujols came in at number one. No surprise there. But you also had Matt Holiday at 30 and Chris Carpenter at 36. You go back to 2014. You had Yadier Molina at 14, Adam Wainwright at 32, and Matt Holiday at 41. You had three guys within the top 50, two position players, and a pitcher. That was the same thing as 2011. Two position players and a pitcher. Right now, the Cardinals have the two position players. You've got Arenado. You've got Goldschmidt. Next year, when this list comes around, for the Cardinals to have a great season this season, it will have to be 
pushed forward by Jack Flaherty getting into the top 50. It, it'll require Arenado, Goldschmidt, and Flaherty being top 50 players going into next Chris season. Chris Carpenter is historically one of the greatest postseason pitchers the Cardinals have ever had. So I'm advancing the story. Jack Flaherty has to match up against the other teams, number one, and be on par with that guy. And if he's not, then it's going to be a long postseason for the Cardinals. You have to have him available. Let's say if it works out, game one, game four, maybe game seven. That's Chris Carpenter. That's why he was in that. I mean, he was a big game pitcher. Um, to win this division, you got to have a good bullpen. You got to have numbers, strength in numbers that John Morosi talked about as well. You were going to tell me the Cardinals have one of the best three bullpens in baseball. I could see it. If you're going to tell me that they're going to have a bullpen that is their biggest cause for concern at the trade deadline, I could also see that. And I should add here that that's probably not terribly surprising uh, with respect to almost every other team in the majors, maybe with the exception of the Padres and Dodgers, because a lot of relievers threw probably – 25 innings last year and up and down the, the the list of bullpen options because of where we were with a 60-game season. So I think that this is the, the, the year where we're going to see a lot more variability with respect to the bullpen. Yeah, Flaherty, by the way, only threw 40 and a third innings last year. So your bullpen may be the key to success this year for all teams across the board. Absolutely. And the one thing that I will disagree with from Morosi there, I I'm confident about a few things for this Cardinals team. The thing that I am most confident in is that they are going to have a good bullpen in 2021. I'm not sure there's anything else that I feel like I know more than that the bullpen is going to be pretty darn good. And that's as much about the numbers as it is about the quality of any one individual. So I do agree with Morosi that there's probably going to be some relievers this year that have down seasons and in part because of what last season was. But the Cardinals have so many other options, so many other answers to those questions, unlike other teams, that I don't see them having any sort of need for a bullpen reliever at the at the deadline. I don't either. It's strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Unless, you know, Helsley is down and Cabrera is down, Hicks isn't effective. Well, I mean, there's a ton of variables with that. But again, you have options where other teams don't have that just dangling out there at AAA. I mean, look at how the Cardinals are going to... One of the things that's going to get really interesting here in the next three or four weeks, who emerges in camp, which it always is, but who goes north with the team? I mean, there's going to be some guys on this team that you look at and go, wow, he didn't make the team? Now, they're going to be parts of this team in 2021, but not the initial roster. That is going to be shocking, I think, some of the names that will be on that list. I really believe that. Especially in the relieving, relief situation. Yes. I mean, we talked about this yesterday, but you get into that 12 through 14 range for their relievers. Those guys are going to be up and down between here and Memphis. And guys like Hennessy Cabrera, Seth Elledge, those guys easily could end up missing out on the big league roster on opening day. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Max show on a Thursday with BK and we say good morning to John Nagowski of the St. Louis Cardinals and John where do we find you, you down in Jupiter yet yet spring training good morning guys yeah I'm uh, we just got down to Jupiter my girlfriend and I and our dog uh, we got here yesterday so I just did all my testing and 
waiting to get my results back, and then I'll head over there tomorrow and get back to work. Probably you never dreamed of having more Q-tips shoved up your nose than you have in the last year. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's been an adventure with all the, the testing and everything, and I went to uh, the Dominican and, and played this off season too in, in winter ball, so... Uh, even more testing. So I'm just a glutton for punishment. I I, I'm not sure. Well, you're not a glutton for punishment. You're trying to make a career of it, and it's been a pleasure watching you get to the big leagues. It was so much fun watching you last year. I, I want to go back to winter ball just for a second. Um, did they do much testing there? How did, how did that all work? They did. So uh, MLB mandated all the testing over there, so uh, that kind of made my parents feel a little bit better about me going over there. And um, so we pretty much tested every day or every other day uh, for the most part, and uh, it, it was good. I mean, they were super careful over there. The the masks, the mandates, they were strict, and um, we we were blessed to not have a ton of, of issues. So it, it worked out pretty good. John, what's this all been like? I mean, it, it's one thing to play baseball. I would imagine this is your lifelong dream. You're, you were up with the big league club last year, but it, it was under different circumstances, certainly, than anybody was expecting. What's it like to play baseball through a pandemic right now? It's hectic. And uh, I think it's just so stressful on top of, you know, just the normal stress of baseball and travel and, and having a family outside of that and, and you know, a, a girlfriend and, and a dog and everything on top of it. Um, it, it makes things stressful and um, you just kind of roll with the punches a little bit. Sometimes you know, your VP gets pushed back or your workout or, whatever it may be. And I think the important thing is to just stay flexible with it and understand, you know, they're doing their best too. This was all new for all our, our training staff and um, all of us. So they did such an incredible job last year, keeping us on track, keeping us on time and, and um, Ollie Marmel and, and all those guys running the schedules. I mean, it was incredible. So it, it's hectic to be, to, to sum it up. You were one of the great stories of baseball last year for the Cardinals in 2020 and for folks that don't know your story in, in terms of being drafted and independent ball and all the different things that you had to get to. And then all of a sudden a dream comes true. You make it to the big leagues. Can you try to surmise what that was like being a, a big leaguer and, and finally realizing your dream? Oh, man. Um when I went back and, and watched the video of it, you know, I kind of look up and take a deep breath and um, – you know, it was kind of just written all over my face, and I barely even remember doing that. Um, you know, I remember Stubby being down there and, and saying congratulations, and um, just it was a kind of a culmination of everybody that's helped me get to that point, um, everything, all the work that I've put in, and, um, you know, you, you can't do it by yourself. It, it's your team, your support team, my girlfriend, my parents, um, all my friends and, and my teammates and coaches all throughout you kind of have that flashback of, man, I was, you know, playing little major ball, um, dreaming about this and, and getting a hit off Dallas title. And, um, man, it was awesome. You know, it, it was, it, it was honestly tough to put into words that feeling of that emotion when it all hits you. Um, and then combined with like, Hey, I'm trying to stay here and I'm trying to, um, you know, show these guys that I can help this team and, and I want to eventually take us, help us, uh, win a world series. So, that's kind of secondary to wait when you get your hit. And then it's like, okay, I got my hit. Now I got to show I belong. And this is what it was last summer. And now here he is in the big leagues. 
Nagowski, base hit, center field, and John Nagowski has his first major league hit. Love that reaction right there. That was awesome to see that moment. You you hear? I got goosebumps thinking about it. I had the chance to call it, so I love those moments. You hear that? What what comes to mind? Do you have goosebumps? What's what are you thinking? I do. I'm looking at them right now. Um, it was so awesome, and, and my parents have probably watched that video a million times. And um, just the way that you called it was so special, and and to hear the excitement in your voice, having you you know you understanding um, kind of the journey that I've been on, and and um, you know, it took me a little while to get there, so um, it just was so special. Uh, all the guys, Wayno and Carp, and um, the, just the way that they treated me while I was up there and, and the kind words that I got hearing from, from teammates and stuff, it, it just made it so special. So, John, what's this year? Now that you, you, you've got that first hit, now the goal expands for you, as you said. What what happens now? Like, what what is John Nagowski's spring look like what are your goals going into this spring and then going into the summer do, do you have any idea what this is going to look like from a season perspective I mean I think first and foremost you know the goal for me is to make this team um you know I I think that as far as the minor leagues go I feel like I've proved that I'm ready for the opportunity to to be a guy that that can help out you know obviously we've got Goldie um, we've got so much better leadership with Carp, and um, now you know we add some guy at third base, uh, <laughs> some new guy. Um, you know, I would know my role would be, you know, to come off the bench or to get a spot start here or there, and and to really do damage against left-handed pitching. So that was my focus in the off season was how do I help this team in the angle or the ability or the chances that I'm going to get during the season. And um, so that was my main focus and um, trying to add some versatility and play in the outfield and um, slimming down, really working on my speed, um, stuff like that, getting good jumps, working on my arm, making sure I'm doing my long toss program and stuff like that. Um, so I think the big thing for me coming into spring is that I'm trying to win a job and um, I want to be up there all year because I know that I can help this team offensively, defensively, whatever it may be. Um, and whatever my role might might be, um, as far as what the season looks like right now, man, I get all my news from Twitter. So <laughs> I think, and it's usually from Danny Max Twitter. So, I love it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I think like the biggest thing that you guys harped on was it's day by day with this COVID stuff, and um, you know we get our schedule the night before, and and that's kind of my plan for for the next day, and we go on from that. Don't believe everything you see on Twitter, okay? I'm going to tell okay. you that. Now, on my feed, that's a little different. But don't believe everything you see on Twitter, okay? <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I've uh, I'm pretty sure I've been traded a couple times on Twitter. Which <laughs> Not by us. Here. I can promise you that, John. Not by <laughs> no, us. No, Okay, I appreciate it, guys. Um, one of the things I loved watching – with your at bats is your eye. You you have a great eye, and 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 you know in this day and age of baseball, it's like well if you strike out, it's fine. You know you guys gonna walk into some home runs. It's it's accepted. You take me back to being a throwback with that. Where did that come from? Did that develop? And how do you think it helps you going in this day and age of baseball? I think um, you know that has been kind of harped on with my dad. He was my first hitting coach my entire life, and. Um, you know, it was always give yourself a shot. 
You know, you, you can't get a hit if you strike out. Um, you can't get on base if you strike out. And, um, you know, I think I'm also pretty dang competitive. And uh, I really feel like I let the pitcher win when he strikes me out. And that is the least I, I just can't stand it. So, uh, so I think that kind of mentality of scrapping every at-bat, of battling, um, and then trying to balance that with, you know, hey, I'm a first baseman, corner outfielder guy, and drive in more runs and, and hit the ball out of the yard. Um, but still being able to bring that to a lineup, you know, added depth of this is a tough out, you know, whether I'm hitting third like I do in Memphis or, you know, seventh or eighth or ninth in the big leagues, uh, if we can add length to that lineup and to where these guys have to go and they're facing our big guys and then they, they're coming down and, and I'm a tough out, I'm a 10 pitch at bat um, for four at bat tonight. I think that adds length to the lineup and depth. So um, that's kind of always been my mentality is just be the toughest out I can be and not get myself out. And I think that's kind of reflected in my walks and strikeouts. Absolutely. How much outfield have you played? I've always seen you as a first baseman when I've been looking at your numbers or I, I go down and I, I watch, you know, the, the, when we w- did have minor league baseball, I was watching you in the minor leagues here at first base. So I, I am curious about how much mm-hmm. you played in the outfield. I played a pretty fair amount, especially when I was kind of coming up and, and at Florida State. I played a, uh, in the outfield a little bit my freshman year. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the thing is, is I've been blessed to, to be good defensively. I've worked super hard at first base defensively. And, um, you know, I think sometimes that in a way they're kind of like, hey, you know, we, we want this guy defensively at first. And I take pride in saving runs over there. So um, I think that's kind of been my spot playing first but um i've played a pretty fair amount of outfield and um i like going run them down i was telling Schulte that i looked like andrew jones out in the, nice. in the off season when my dad was in. i'm not sure if that was true but i told him that so uh-huh if you believe it, it's that. true <laughs> exactly well he so, read it on uh, twitter so it must be <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> you know my girlfriend said i looked fast so that's <laughs> what matters you know um but it, it, like any way that our lineup is so good and so deep that any way that I can give Schulte a little bit of, um, you know, assurance that, Hey, this guy, he can hold his own out there and, and, you know, make a play or two. I think that's what I've been trying to work on. We're talking to John Nagowski, Cardinals first baseman and potentially outfielder here on 101 ESPN, affectionately known on this show as the Nogfather. Uh, John, I, I did want to ask you, the Cardinals, you know, as you referred to him, added some third baseman this offseason. What was your reaction, I would imagine, as you saw that news also on Twitter? What did you think when Nolan Arenado is the next St. Louis Cardinals third baseman? Man, that's so cool. I've, I've been watching this guy my whole career, and um, – He's just so talented defensively, um, offensively, um, just from what I've heard about him as a teammate in the clubhouse, uh, just an awesome dude. And I'm super excited to go and learn from him. I'm going to watch him in the cage. I'm going to see what he does defensively um, and just pick stuff up. That was the big thing that I got to do last spring training with Carp and um, with Goldie. And, you know, I just follow these guys around, see what they're doing. Um, I've got a journal of stuff that I keep down, uh, of stuff that I like that I saw Goldie do defensively, that I saw uh, Colton Wong do defensively, uh, Pauly D, all these guys. So um, I'm super excited to see how he works because I've heard his work ethic is incredible. 
and um, you know, try to get try to learn some stuff and, and steal some stuff from them. I was going to ask you about your journal because you told me about that. It really caught my attention, and you you also mentioned Goldschmidt to me last spring. You said, "Man, this guy has been just so helpful for me." Um, Absolutely. What What did you take away from? The journal. I, I'm assuming you go back, look at some of the notes. What are some of the things, without giving away trade secrets here, but what are some of the things that you wrote down? Um, I think it, it's kind of all-encompassing. I think sometimes it's it's a drill that I saw Goldie do pregame five minutes before the game or ten minutes, whatever it may be. Um, sometimes when I see him eating before the games, and we talked about um, our nutrition before games and, and our recovery, stuff that we do, um, you know, and, and – for me, I think the biggest thing is these guys are at the peak of our profession, and I, that's eventually what I want to get to and what I strive to get to. So um, if there's something that they're doing that I'm not, for me, that's just a tell, and I write that in my journal. And, I mean, I've got everything from notes on pitchers to, um, you know, eating habits to shakes pre- and post-game, um, you know, and, and I think it's – little stuff like that that I've taken over these last when I started doing it five six years ago um that has really gotten me to the point where I can I feel like I can be an everyday big leaguer so um super super beneficial for for any young guy to uh to start taking notes on these guys let's get your followers up you're at john underscore nagowski n-o-g-o-w-s-k-i is yep. it eight? I don't yeah, have my glasses number on. Eight. Okay. Number eight. I think I need to change it to 34. But uh, <laughs> I'll get my publicist on that. I'll get my publicist on that. You get your people on that, John, right away, yeah, will you please? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. I'll get on that. And, um, you know, I, I want to start doing some more on Twitter and, and Instagram. And, um, you know, I it's just a little bit different for me. Um, I've never really been a guy who does a ton on Instagram or does a ton on, on Twitter, but the fans in St. Louis are so awesome and, you know, I want to, you know, connect to them a little bit more and, and I'm going to start sharing some more and you'll see a lot of my dog. Awesome. That's about it. Take us behind the scenes of spring training because John, we can't really see much down there this (laughs) year. So you're our, you're our inside source. You got to show us what it's like to be a part of spring training this time around. That's true. I I've seen uh, Derek Gould taking photos (laughs) through the fence. It worried me a little bit. It scared me. I was like, Derek, you doing all right. uh, (laughs) I think that's, that's all he can do. That's all he can get. So uh, I'll try to, I'll try to share some behind the scenes. Hey, we can't thank you enough for your time. This was awesome. I know fans love hearing from the players. They love hearing your perspective on the game. And as I've said on the broadcast and uh, on this show, it was an awesome moment to see you get that big league hit. I always pull for the guys that have had to have those, you know, struggles and a long way to get there. The bus rides, the long nights, all that stuff. And it's just amazing. Absolutely. And you're in Thank a, you so much. Well, I'll tell you what, you're in a very, very small fraternity of people that can say, I made it to the big leagues. I got a major league hit. I'm competing at the big leagues. You should be very, very proud. It's it's awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, I can't wait for this year. We'll get that first uh, home run out of the way. And um, maybe let's just win a World Series. Go ahead and knock it all out of the way. If you get that first home run, it'll be a call that will be remembered for. I'm going to go ballistic. I'm going nuts. <laughs> I'm win, Dan. Not that. if, win. Yes. When that happens. When this that year. happens. I like it. Good deal. Good deal. Hey, thanks, John, for doing this, and good luck in spring training. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Appreciate it. You got it. That's John Nagowski of the St. Louis Cardinals. That was great.
I can't help but root for that guy. Oh, like crazy. How could he not? I mean, he he is just first of all, unbelievably generous with his time to do that. I these guys are busy down there. I know some some fans laugh at the the idea of spring training. You know, Dan, you've seen it. Oh, yeah. It can get pretty busy with their schedule. So him giving us that time is incredible. And the insight that he brings is amazing. I mean, that guy I, I can't even imagine the amount, the wealth of knowledge that he's received already from Paul Goldschmidt. He's going to receive from Nolan Arenado this year. How about the Nog Father out in the outfield? Yeah, you that, like that idea? I do. That's really interesting, actually, I do like because it. his bat plays. It really does, especially as a pinch hitter. You know, it's going to be tough for him. Let, let's just be honest. I mean, you, you got Paul Goldschmidt mm-hmm. at first base. It is what it is. Um, but as a pinch hitter, to give you a tough late inning at bat. Those guys can make a living. I mean, Mark Sweeney made a hell of a living out of that. He was a tough at bat. You can become and find your niche in the game by doing that. And maybe that the one thing that he does, and if you watch, I mean, he takes borderline pitches and you'll go back and look at like, you know, go to MLB at bat or something. He rarely swings out of anything outside the zone. Dan, I know you're as rarely. researched as anybody that I've ever met. I mean, you look at his minor league numbers, it's unbelievable. He yeah. has more walks in his career right. than strikeouts. He has more RBI by 100 than strikeouts in his minor league career. There's it's, a value to that. It's amazing what he has done at the plate. And it, I said this the other day, if you look at the projection systems and take those for whatever you will, they value him as one of the better bats yes. in this Cardinals lineup. So they're, they're seeing something that what he's done in the minors does play in the bigs. It's great. It's a great story. And to think that he had to go back to independent ball, kind of like John Brebbia. John Brebbia had to do that, too, and then get signed and then go through the minor leagues. And you, you just you remake yourself as a professional pay, a player. It's hard to do at the professional ranks. We're not talking about guys playing on the little leagues at Forest Park here. We're talking about trying to do this at Major League Baseball Especially or Pro Ball. this organization. Yeah. Like it's, it, it, he's not playing for the Pirates going into this year. It, he's playing for the Cardinals who are trying to win a World Series, and he's fi- he found a way to break through. How intriguing, though, outfield, that it's not foreign to him and that if he gives you that role of a good at bat off the bench, yeah, maybe. And you're going to need guys. There's no doubt. At some point, you're going to need guys. It might be him versus Austin Dean for that guy, that next guy up in the outfield. If there is any sort of injury in, in this season, the next guy up right now would seemingly be Austin Dean. Maybe maybe John Nagowski can play himself into that role in this spring training. We have BK and Ferrario coming up. It is a game day, by the way. The Blues will play uh, later tonight, pregame at 6 with Alex. So I'm assuming you got a little hockey talk coming up. We do. We have our guy Joey Vitale coming up at 12.15. I heard some, or saw some amazing comments from Doug Armstrong on Jordan Bennington. We'll get into that later on today. Also, Mike Kelly of the NHL Network. And Andrew Kisner, the Cardinals backup catcher, will join us coming up at 1.30. So lots to get into today, Dan. All right, looking forward to that. And uh, Tanner Gray. Great job. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.